0: Matt's reading comes from Luke twenty four twenty eight through 35. So they drew near to the village in which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them... He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, during Easter, we have been walking with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And we have seen that they are experiencing what we might call uh, a deconstruction of their faith. They began with certain expectations of Jesus, of what the kingdom would look like, of what life with God would look like, of what faith would look like. But then it all came crumbling down that Easter weekend. And so they leave that first Sunday morning, and they're walking to Emmaus, and uh, they're, they're just trying to pick up the pieces of a belief system that is shattered all around them. And Jesus comes to them and begins to reveal himself to them in the scriptures. And that's where we got to last week in verse 27. And so one of the things that we've, we've talked about is that this is a journey that most, uh, most Christians go through, or many Christians go through. And that uh, if you are raised in the church in any way, you begin and you go to Sunday school class and someone teaches you the faith and it all fits on a flannel graph and uh, it's cool. It is just cool. Uh, And then you go to college um, or then you start reading books or having conversations. And and, uh, for many people at that time, uh, one by one, you take things off of the flannel graph, and you say, you know, I, I don't believe that silly stuff anymore, or at least I don't believe it in the way that, that I was taught it. Now, last week, a friend said, you know, you seemed a little angry in the, in the sermon. Uh, you seemed a little irritated. And I was, I was thinking, well, I wonder why. Um, that's never my goal, but... I think what you might have been picking up on, what I might have been trying to communicate, maybe I didn't do it well, but I I feel that in our culture today, which is just in the midst of gale force winds of secularism, that we think it is extraordinarily virtuous to take everything off the flannel graph. And then, ta-da, you're a modern person. You've questioned everything, and doubt is your God. Very brave of you. You are like everyone else. And I think maybe the anger was just sort of this this intellectual superiority that sees that as the goal of any kind of personal development or faith development is just tearing it down. And there's a a saying in the country, I'm told, I'll I'll paraphrase, something like, any donkey can tear down a, a barn, but it takes someone with skill to rebuild it. So it's not enough just to tear apart your belief system. Uh, It needs to be rebuilt. There needs to be some things put back on the board. And what we see in the, the story last week is that Jesus comes to them, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them all the prophets, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus goes back into the scriptures, and he starts to reconstruct their faith. He starts to uh, fill it back in, to redefine it, to, to show them how it points to him. But the, the story isn't over there, right? Because at that point, they don't know who he is, and they could easily say, whoa, who is that dude? Um, and keep going. Or boy, those, those were a wild three years with that guy from Galilee. Huh. Kind of like following the Grateful Dead around or something. Like, wow. Wow. Man, what a trip! Or they could go find a new Messiah, but they don't. And this story is about what happens next, and it's really a story of the first Christian church service. And for those of you that have not been been here, we, we've been I've used this metaphor: the slow church. There's a church out in the country that has a sign next to it that says "Slow Church," and it it's it means be careful. Uh, it's not referring to their mental capacity or anything like that. It's, it's just saying, watch out, people are walking around. And, and I saw that many years ago, and I thought, what a, what a metaphor for what a church can be like. Uh, that this, this long, slow walk with Jesus on Easter morning uh, is kind of a picture of a slow church, a church that is very quiet and patient and relational and digging deep into Scripture and Christ. So let's look at this here, uh, verses 28 to 35, a little briefly, because I think it's a good picture of, of maybe what the future church might look like. You know, I also mentioned, if you're you a guest, the first week I said something I've been thinking a lot about is, what does the future church look like in a secular, post-modern uh, culture? What is it going to look like? And I keep thinking about uh, Jeremiah 6.16, which says, go back to the ancient ways, go back to the ancient paths and walk in them. Maybe the future of the church looks something like this. They drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. That's just such a wonderful, quirky little detail in this story. Because Christian theology says, as we, I think, prayed earlier, God is everywhere. We call it omnipresence. He's everywhere. But Jesus' presence is, in some sense, not everywhere. Because in places like Revelation 3, he comes to the church at Laodicea and says, I'm knocking at the door. Do you want me to come in? There's this idea that Jesus isn't necessarily always with his people in worship. That he wants to be invited in. He wants to be asked. He wants to say, Stay with me. So he acts, you know, I'm kind of imagining him kind of. (laughs) You want me? You know? He wants us, but he wants to be invited. He wants. To be wanted. And if this is true, then there's a curious little implication of this. If it's true that there is a way in which he comes to stay with us when we ask him, that when we gather as a people of God for worship, either here or in a home or wherever, and we invite him in, that there is a way in which he is there in thickness and in power, then it could also mean that if we don't invite him, he might pass us by. That he could keep walking, that we could keep doing the things of Christian institutionalism when he's actually far gone, when uh, Elvis has left the building, so to speak. Now, I'm not a farmer. Uh, I've used two farm illustrations tonight. That's enough for the year. Um, But someone was telling me that when they grew up, they watched their grandmother uh, cut off a chicken's head. Uh, before they plopped them in the soup and had dinner. And the thing that was so disturbing in that picture was that even though the chicken's head was off, the chicken's body kept running around the barnyard. Now, we didn't do a lot of that in the suburbs where I grew up. Now, Danny Bullington may have in his house. There's a story there. Ask him about how he snuck chickens into his suburban house. Um, but the point being, as silly or as or sickening as that image is, It reminds me of the church. We can be totally severed from the head. We can be cut off from the spirit, and yet busily running around doing all the religious things that we're supposed to be doing. That haunts me, frankly. Some of my training has been in church history, and There are vast stretches where, while there are pockets of renewal, the chicken is going off in a million directions without the head. And so one of the things I ask, we pray for here, is just, Jesus, But what what are you doing in our midst now? Not, what did you do 10 years ago? What are you doing right now? And are there things that we're about, maybe we're not supposed to be about because we're just doing them because that's what the chicken's always done, but the head doesn't really want us to do them. Stay with us. That's a good, good, good prayer. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. (sighs) The table is at the center of this slow church. And the church fathers often thought that that meant the Eucharistic table. And I, I think that certainly is part of it. John 6 has this wonderful sermon where Jesus talks in, in very mysterious ways about eating his blood, blood or eating his bread and drinking his blood, and that what we do, we have eternal life with him. And again, the early church understood that to mean the Eucharistic table, that there was some way in which Christ reveals himself to us when we come to the table. And the older I get, the more important that table becomes to me. If you if you said well what's if you, you, you put a gun to my head and you said there's only one thing we could do tonight you know I'd, that's what I would would want us to do there was a, you probably couldn't see this but we were starting worship and there are two young girls I can't remember who they were I'm not sure I recognize them one of them ran from over there grabbed the other one and they held on to each other and I looked and I thought isn't that cute some of you who are here might be able to see it and then. About five minutes later, (laughs) they were still holding on to each other, just hadn't moved, just beaming, smiling right beneath the table. It was like all week long they waited to come together and hug their friend in front of the table. I thought, wow, that's church right there. That's church. I also think there's an image here maybe beyond this, and that is that Where do do you do the hard work of putting stuff back on the flannel graph? What does an adult Sunday school look like? Well, it might be a literal. (laughs) This is harder than it looks, I tell you. (laughs) It might be a literal Sunday school class. Those are very important. But it'll probably also take place at the table in your house that when you've gone through a deconstruction of faith and you have doubts and questions and you're wondering, there are some things that you can't ask in a service like this. You might not be able to ask in a Sunday school class, but you can ask them around somebody's table. And I think that's why that's so important, that everybody in our church have a table where they break bread regularly with other believers because that's where you put stuff back on the graph. Now, uh, we have this wonderful pilgrimage class. That's what we call kind of our new members class, and we do it twice a year now, and it's just been so fun. Eight wonderful people in there, and uh, Joel does a great job putting together and many of you coming in, and I was with him last week and just had a blast with him. I was driving home and praying for him a little bit and so thankful for him, and I was thinking... I wonder if they'll be here in three years. And here's what I think will determine, unless they move or something, whether or not they'll be here in three years. Whether or not they're breaking bread regularly in somebody's house at the table. You know, of all the things we do, of all the forms and structures the church takes, I think you're getting real close to the core right there of believers together at the table breaking bread. Some of you have a real gift for that, and uh, I've been haunted lately by a, a, a comment from a young friend who'd been here a while and was was leaving, and I, I said, "What? Why? Why did you have a hard time? You know." Staying, And he said, um, you all are so close as a family. You're so close. You guys do life together. You love each other so well. Sometimes it's act, it's hard for outsiders to break in. And, you know, if you're in the middle of it, you don't see it because it's working for you. And I'm in a bunch of small groups, Several of them are closed. I mean, they've been together for years. With, and We don't invite new people. So I just want to lay that out to you. If, if that's something on your heart, if there's any way you could provide a table where people could break bread together. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The presence of God is a part of this church service. The table is the center of this church service. And then there is an encounter with Holy Scripture that leads to a burning heart. not just more knowledge about the Bible, not just the fortification of a system, but something that affects my emotions, my desires, that inflames them for God and for others. I find... that keeping a relationship with Scripture that is hot and passionate and connects with my heart to be one of the greatest challenges of the faith journey. And I think some of you do too because we've talked about it. We love to study it. We love to talk about it. We love to read books about it. But let's remember, the goal is not that you know more about the author of Galatians. The goal is fire. The goal is passion. And in a healthy church, scripture is a part of our conversation as we walk the road together. Is Scripture a part of your conversations with each other? You know, we we live in a day with just so many great resources, great books, great podcasts, great blogs, and everything else. And I struggle with this, and I think maybe you do too. Sometimes all the great resources about Scripture can replace Scripture in our spiritual journey. And so, if you're if you're going to do the hard work of of putting things back on the graph, you know, read the books and and all that, but for it, for it truly to be a reconstructed faith, it needs to come from here. It needs to come from your personal interaction with Jesus in, in the text. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, "The Lord is risen indeed, and He's appeared to Simon." And then they told what had happened on the road, how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You've got presents. You have table. You have scripture, and then you have witness. You go out. You go into your community. You speak of the living Christ, and you act for the living Christ. It flows out of your encounter with the risen Christ. When I have the honor of of marrying a a couple, um, I write, their names and the date of the wedding uh, next to the passage that I preach on at their wedding. And, I, and then when I read the text again, I try to pray for them, and usually that gives me uh, great joy. Um, but I have a, two names by, uh, by this passage from November thirteenth, two 2012. Uh, they didn't make it didn't make it. And I was just reminded of you know how, how hard this journey is. and especially if, if you want to do more than just tear it down. If you have the courage if, and I mean that word seriously, it is not courageous beloved to just be like everyone else around you. Courage, goes against that flow and puts back on the graph the things Christ has revealed to you in Scripture. And they may look very different than what they looked like before. I get that. They may look different than what I've got on my graph. But they go back on the graph. And if you want a journey like that, and if you're going to continue on that journey, you need some kind of a slow church. You need to be with God's people in His presence. You need to be breaking bread at the table. You need to be talking about the Word of God. And you need to be witnessing. Let's pray.